Daniel chapter 5. I know how Bill Louthan feels when we, we come to a particular hymn and he says, this is my favorite hymn. Well, one of them. This is my favorite chapter in Daniel. Well, one of them. The handwriting on the wall, an expression we're all familiar with. We'll look today and see the, the origin of that, the handwriting on the wall. But before we do, let's, let's pray and ask for God's insight that He might open our hearts and minds, give us an understanding of, of who He is, what we can, can glean from the passage, from the different people involved, but also what we can, can glean about who God is, how He's sovereign and in control of all things. Father, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You that You've, you've preserved it for us these, these hundreds, even thousands of years that we might know You, our Creator, our Sustainer, our Deliverer, our Redeemer. God bless our time as we look into this passage that, that happened over 2,500 years ago. God, give us insight into the meaning of, of, of these things that we read. Give us understanding and show us how we can apply the things that we read in this passage to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Came across an outline for this chapter that I that I like. Let me let me just share it with you. Outline point number one, the party. That's verses one through four. Outline point number two, the party crasher. That's verse verses five through twelve. Outline point number three, the party pooper. That's out that's verses thirteen through twenty-nine. And then Outline point number four, the party's over, verse 30 and 31. So let's read about the party. King, verse one, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that have been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That's the party. We've got a new king on the throne, Belshazzar, who for centuries, critics, liberal scholars doubted that he even existed, that, that many would point to it as a, a, an error in the Bible. But as James Montgomery Boyce says, this is a quote from him. I 
have said many times that if you want to look very wise in the world's eyes and are willing to risk looking foolish from years from now, you can make a reputation for yourself by pointing out errors in the Bible. There are always facts we do not know and things we fail to understand, so it will always be possible to point to certain items and say they are errors. But these things tend to become explained as time passes and the data from archaeology and historical investigations and other disciplines accumulate, these alleged errors tend to explode in the faces of those who propound them and the position of these who have taken their stand upon the historical accuracy and inerrancy of this book is vindicated. The Bible is seen to be more reliable, not less reliable, as time passes on. And that's very much the case uh, regarding Belshazzar, that for years, going back to the third century uh, after Christ, that that liberals or uh, many who were skeptics of the Bible would would say he's he was not a king. Therefore, there's an error in the Bible. Daniel didn't know what he was what he was saying. Uh, one of the big sources of that was a Greek historian named. Uh, Brocius, who's actually quoted by Josephus, that he says there's not a mention of Belshazzar as one of the Babylonian kings. But Brocius ends up centuries later with egg on his face when discoveries made in the in the 19th century, mid 1800s, first by uh, a, a, Brit, a British consul named J.G. Taylor who discovered these small cylinders with 60 or so lines of uh, cuneiform writing on them that turned out to mention Nabonidus, considered the last king of Babylon, and his son Belshazzar. So through more recent discoveries, we've, we've learned that <clears throat> Nabonidus was, was a king, probably a son-in-law or grandson-in-law of, of Nebuchadnezzar, though scholars would debate that. Some would, uh, but Nabonidus was rather an eccentric ruler. He was uh, dedicated to worshiping the moon god. And though the Babylonians were, were polytheistic, that, that Nabonidus was sort of took a leave of the kingdom and moved to Timnah in Saudi Arabia where he could worship the moon god. In his absence, we find Belshazzar, his son, serving as, as co-regent of the kingdom. So as co-regent, Belshazzar makes this great feast. And he invites all of his lords, well, maybe not all of them, but a thousand of his lords, his wives, their wives, his concubines, their concubines. So we probably have a group of well over 2,000 people at this great feast. One thing that makes this chapter really interesting is that we can actually date this great party. If you jump ahead to verse 30, 
says that very night Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Verse 31, And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. From, from history, archaeology, other discoveries, we, we know that the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon, the city of Babylon, invaded and took over the city of Babylon after they had, had conquered the rest of the Babylonian Empire on October 12, 13th, 539 BC. So this party is actually happening October the 12th, 539 BC. Two other Greek historians, Xenophon and, and, and uh, Herodias, mention Nabonidus as the king. They don't mention Belshazzar as, as their name, but Xenophon says that at the time a reckless and godless youngster was ruling Babylon. So Nabonidus has, has gone off either to fight the, the Medes and Persians, some say, or maybe he was still in Timnah worshiping the moon god, and his son Belshazzar is, is co-regent. He's in the city. The rest of the empire has pretty much been, been overrun taken over by the Medes and the, and the Persians. Uh, Babylonia is, is no longer the, the world power, the one in control. But, but Belshazzar, this reckless and godless youngster, is throwing a great feast. Why? Well, it goes back to his grandfather or predecessor, the, the word here for father, verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar, can, can mean father, can mean grandfather, can simply be just to uh, call him a, a successor, uh, a predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, predecessor of king of, of Babylon. But that, that Bel, Belshazzar is, is suffering from the same kind of prideful arrogance that, that Nebuchadnezzar had that we read about in, in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar was granted more time. In this case, we're going to see that, that Belshazzar is, is out of time. Why would he be so, so bold and arrogant to throw this great feast? Is it just one last fling before they all die? Or do they really think they can withstand the, the Medes and the Persians? Well, it's the latter. They're inside Babylon, this great city. The walls expand 14 square miles. The walls are 85 feet thick. They're 350 feet high. There, there are fortifications all around it. They, they have estimates between 10 and 20 years worth of food supply within the city. The Euphrates River runs under it. They don't see any reason to be frightened by the Medes and Persians, by their impending doom, but they don't, they don't see it. So Belshazzar, he's, they're, they're drinking wine. There's thousands of them there. It's, it's the, 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 the translations kind of leave it out, but this is a, 
a drunken orgy of a, of a party. And while it's going on, after, after Belshazzar is probably totally hammered, he says, bring in the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple in Jerusalem. We read about that in, in 2 Kings, how Nebuchadnezzar came in, in 605, the first time, 605 B.C., and, and overthrew Jerusalem. He didn't destroy the city or the temple at that time, but he took away captives. Daniel, many other young people, nobles, royal family, as well as some of the vessels from the temple. Some, some scholars say that, that Nebuchadnezzar actually built a museum to display all that the goods, the, the things that he had captured throughout his kingdom, the lands that, he, that, that became his kingdom, and he, he put them in a museum for all to see. That, that we got this from Assyria, we got this from Egypt, we got this from, from Israel. And he had those in there. He didn't desecrate them as his, uh, his, his successor, Belshazzar, is going to do. But he put them on display to show that our Babylonian gods are greater than the gods of Assyria and Egypt and Israel. Now Belshazzar, knowing of these vessels, says, bring those out and let's drink out of them. So they begin to, to, to extend their party and they says they drink wine out of the golden vessels that had been in the temple of the house of God. His, his lords, his wives, his concubines, they all drank wine and then they praised their gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Kind of reminds you of that of that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in chapter 2 of the, the image with the head of gold, the chest and, and arms of silver, the abdomen and legs of bronze, and then the, the lower legs and feet of, of, of iron, and then iron and clay. Verse 5, the party crasher. Immediately, how soon is that? It's like a nanosecond. Remember the time that it takes a cab driver in New York City between the time the light turns green and the time he starts honking? Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the nightstand. The king saw the hand as it wrote, then the king's color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a gold chain around his neck, and shall be, be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known the interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, 
came into the banqueting hall and the king and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or the color change or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So in the midst of this, this drunken feast, Belshazzar is, is totally wasted. He's sitting there. They're praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, wood, and stone, drinking out of the vessels from, the, from Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And he turns, and immediately he sees this hand writing on the wall. German archaeologist by the name of, of um, Robert Coldaway, it's K-O-L-D-E-W-E-Y, if you want to Google him, Robert Coldaway, doing excavations in, in Babylon, about 50 miles south of Baghdad in, in Iraq, Found this is in the late 18th century, uh, 19th century, early 1900s. Found this, uh, excavated the 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 room in Nebuchadnezzar Belshazzar's palace, this big banquet hall, and in in the banquet hall was a was an alcove to the side where the king would sit. Normally, the kings didn't drink in front of their lords or subjects or anyone. They would be uh, kind of uh, hidden away when, when there would be something like this, a party like this or a meeting like this. But in this case, Belshazzar is thrown away all protocol. He's drinking with, with all of the, of the people, and he sees this. Uh, this handwriting on the wall. Robert Coldaway has actually found the, the, uh, the, the, the room and this little alcove and described it as a white plastered walls with a, with a lamp stand in there. Uh, that, so it would make sense that it would be easy to see this, that the room was well lighted and he and as Belshazzar is is drinking and praising these false gods, he sees this handwriting on the wall. Chuck Swindoll says this is probably the fastest any drunk has ever sobered up when he sees the handwriting on the wall. Daniel, in in describing this to us, says that the king's color changed. You know this total shock that you can just picture him turning just just white as a as a sheet. His limbs gave way. His knees began knocking. He's he he's just he's scared to death. The scholars say the Aramaic means literally the knots of his loins were untied. Okay, he soiled himself. 
He, he was that much afraid. And I guess you can't blame him if you're sitting there, drunk or sober or however, and a hand appears out of nowhere and begins writing on the wall. We would probably all do the same thing. Belshazzar immediately calls for same old group, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. He's looking for, looking to those same, same old guys that never had the answer, calling them in to interpret what's going on. Same old wise man, kind of looking in the same old places for solutions or for answers. We kind of have that same tendency many times of, of looking to the same places for, for answers. Well, they don't let him down. Well, they do, but they don't let us down. We know what's, what's going to happen. Belshazzar offers them great riches. If you can tell me what this writing means, what, what its interpretation is, you're going to be clothed in purple, you're going to get a gold chain, and you're going to become the third ruler. Why the third ruler? Well, Nabonidus, Belshazzar's father, is the king. Belshazzar is the co-regent, so the, the past level that's open is the third ruler. So I'm going to make you the third ruler. So they would have been motivated to do it, but they can't. They, they don't have a clue. In verse 9, we see he's, he's greatly alarmed. He's even more afraid. These wise men can't help me. His color change, he goes from white to white, white to whiter, and all his lords are perplexed. None of these guys can answer. All our wise men are, they, they, they can't, they don't understand it. What, what are we to do? They know the Medes and Persians are outside. They don't know what's, what this has to do with that, but they are, they're, they're, they're alarmed and perplexed and confused. Verse 10, then the queen. This is probably not Belshazzar's wife. It may be his mother, possibly even his, his grandmother. Uh, many would say it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. She, she hears this going on, or maybe one of her attendants comes. Anyhow, she comes into the, the banquet hall. You kind of get the idea. She does speak in, in sort of a, a motherly fashion to Belshazzar. She says, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you. You know, settle down. It's going to be okay. And then in verse 11, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And she goes on and tells him about Daniel, that in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, he could, he could answer all of the, the questions. He could interpret dreams. He could, in, he could, he could interpret uh, whatever the king needed. And, and so, he, so Nebuchadnezzar made him chief of the magicians. So let's do quick math. Daniel taken from Jerusalem, Israel to Babylon in 605 BC. It's probably a teenager. Now we know this is 539 BC. So we got about 65, 66 years later. Daniel is now well into retirement. 
He's, he's probably in his 80s. He wasn't in that group. Never did seem to be in the group, the first group of wise men, Chaldeans, that, that the kings would call in. But he's not in the group. The queen mother knows of him, remembers him. She's probably thinking, you should have called him first. So she tells Belshazzar, Call in Daniel, and he will show you the interpretation. Okay, verse 13, the party pooper. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You're that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from, from Judah. So he, Belshazzar, even though he's in a total dilemma, He's soiled himself. He's, he's scared to death. He's really still drunk. Is, is belittling to Daniel. So you're the guy. What, what are you going to teach me, old man? You're just one of the exiles from Judah. Verse 14. I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar said, I know the spirit of the gods is in you. I know you have this wisdom. But Belshazzar, in, in, in his pride and arrogance, is, is kind of looking down on Daniel. Verse 14 again, I heard that you, I, heard of, I've, I have heard of you that the Spirit of the gods is in you and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretations, but they... They could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a gold chain around your neck and shall be ruled, shall be the third ruler in the, in the kingdom. Verse 17. Then Dan Daniel answered and said, O king, live forever. Nope, he didn't say that. Kind of left that part out. Daniel knows who's really in control. Okay, I'll read it the right way this time. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the, the writings to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Kind of get the idea Daniel's like, look, youngster, I've got holes in my sandals that are older than you. I don't need all of this stuff. Daniel's probably already seen the writing and knows what it is and knows what it means and knows that there's no way I'm moving all my stuff to this other office to be third in the kingdom because I know in a few hours there's going to be no kingdom. Okay, that was all from my interpretation. Verse 18. So this is Daniel speaking to King Belshazzar. Before he gives him the interpretation, though, look what he does. He, he kind of tells him, as they used to say, how the cow eats the cabbage. He tells him, he preaches to him, he witnesses to him, he, he testifies of the Most High God. Verse 18. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. 
And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his high kingly throne and his glory taken away from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your, your heart though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house you have brought in. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, stone, which you do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand your breath and, and whose whose are all your ways you have not you have not honored so daniel says you knew all of this he tells belshazzar although you knew all of this you're still not humble he he retells daniel the events of, of Nebuchadnezzar's life. He, he even goes back to, to Daniel chapter 1 where he says that the Lord gave, verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. He says the, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar his kingship and greatness he gave him this position. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up, when he became proud and thought, oh, the great Babylon that I have built for my glory and majesty, he went insane. He lived outside the city. His place was with the beasts. He ate grass. He didn't even know better than to come in out of the, out of the rain or the early morning dew until he realized that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom He will. Until Nebuchadnezzar learned, realized, acknowledged there is one true God, he lived like an animal. <clears throat> Daniel tells Belshazzar, you knew this, and yet you didn't learn the lessons that, that your father did. Verse 24, Then from his presence the hand was sent. So now Daniel's into interpreting the, the writing and telling Belshazzar. First, the source. It's from God's presence this hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was described. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. 
Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple, a gold chain put around his neck, and a proclamation made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel sees the writing. He tells Belshazzar, you should have known this. And then he tells him, this is, this is what's written. Manet, Manet, Tekel, and Parson. Much like Hebrew, the Aramaic would be written only in consonants. So you could interpret the words differently, looking at the consonants, the most natural uh, meaning would be as standards of weight, such as uh, shekel, half shekel, mite, or uh, you know we might say ounces, pounds, tons, grams, kilograms, tons. But Daniel knows what they really mean and, and he interprets it, he gives a different, a different valve. He inserts a different valve, changing the, those standard weights in, from verbs or nouns into a passive participle. And he says they mean numbered, weighed, and divided. And then he tells him what each of those means. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Kind of then Belshazzar gives Daniel the purple robe, the gold chain. He makes him third ruler. You wonder if he if he was even listening to Daniel's interpretation. And then finally, verse 30 and 31, the party's over. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. October 13, 539 B.C., the Medes and the Persians conquered the city of Babylon, just uh, thusly concluding their conquest of, of, of the Babylonian kingdom. How did they do it? How did they conquer this great city with these 350 feet high walls, 85 feet thick, with all sorts of, of fortified towers around it? city that the Euphrates River ran through. They had multiple years of food. Well, it would seem they diverted the Euphrates River, dug a, a channel around so the water stopped flowing through the city of Babylon, but was diverted around it. And then the armies of, of, of Darius the king walked through the riverbed and killed all of the, the, the Babylonian officials, including Belshazzar, and, and took over the, the city and, and the entire kingdom of Babylon. So it's turn out the lights, the party's over. Belshazzar's great feast ends 
in the worst way possible with he and his lords and 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 many of their wives and concubines all being killed a, a new kingdom is in control that being the second part of the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw the silver chest and arms the the Medo-Persian empire is 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 now the first part of the fulfillment of that dream that that God gave Nebuchadnezzar what can we glean from chapter 5 we can certainly see where Belshazzar thinks he's in control thinks everything is okay we can we can see that that sin many times blinds us to danger Belshazzar should have known the lessons that his grandfather knew he had heard the stories he he knew how pride brought Nebuchadnezzar down until Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged and believed in the one true God the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob sins not static it you don't remain on a plateau as your your sin continues but that sin eventually leads downhill that there's a crash a fall Nebuchadnezzar blasphemed God God is not static we may we may see sin around us maybe even in our own lives but that that and God does not ignore sin forever we see God's judgment on the Babylonian Empire specifically on on Belshazzar but also on on Babylon they have been weighed and numbered Johnny Cash wrote a song in 1957 called Belshazzar and he says he was he was weighed in the balance and found wanting and one line says suddenly their their mocking stopped Belshazzar was weighed in the balance and found wanting eventually we're all weighed in the balance and without the blood of Jesus Christ atoning for our sins we're all found wanting but because Jesus paid the price Jesus redeemed us that though we are wanting his blood washes away our sinfulness that though judgment is coming those found in Christ will receive God's redemption God's salvation you could say one of the main characters in the account is the party crasher the handwriting on the wall I came across a, 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 a an account 
a a uh, actually a preacher who uh, referenced the Holman Bible Dictionary in speaking of the hand of God or the arm of God says that 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 metaphor that usage of hand is used over 1800 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament but only about 500 of those 1800 times that hand is is mentioned are literal the other 1300 some odd uh, occasions it's a figurative use and the largest usage of figurative usage of hand refers to God as the supreme power and authority of, of God. In Exodus 13, we, we see how by God's mighty hand, Israel was, was delivered from Egypt. Psalm 8 and Psalm 95 talk about God's hand in the, in the cre creative sense, in, in creation. The hand of God is also uh, refers to good, is used in a good sense and a bad sense, for deliverance, but also in, in judgment. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We have security in, in the hand of God. John later, in writing his Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17, when he saw him, when he saw the, the Son of Man, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. We have security and protection, redemption, salvation, preservation from the hand of God, from, from the hand of Christ on, on, our, on our lives. Remember what Jesus said on, on the cross. He said, calling out in Luke 23, verse 46, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. I think on that occasion, Jesus was commending, committing himself both to the judgment of God, his hand, in paying the awful price of our sins, that all our sins were put, put upon him. And Jesus was saying, I commit my, myself into your hand for that judgment. He paid that judgment price. But at the same time, he was also committing himself into God's hand of deliverance, knowing that God was going to raise him from the dead on the third day, that he was going to be exalted forever 
as the conquering lamb. We see the, the first part of Daniel, of that image in Daniel chapter 2 being fulfilled with the Medo-Persian Empire coming, coming to be. We're also reminded of, of the last part of that stone that's coming that's going to destroy all the earthly kingdoms and establish the kingdom of God that's going to last forever, never, never be replaced with another kingdom. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, help us to just stop and pause and, and ponder these things, this, this passage, and just how we can apply them to our lives. God, seeing that You're in control of all things, that You don't sit idly by and ignore sin, but that You took sin so seriously that You sent Your Son, that our judgment was placed on Him. He paid the price to atone for our sins. but that by Your hand He was preserved and raised from the dead and exalted and sits at Your right hand. God, just give us an understanding of who You are and how You work in, in, in our lives, how maybe we, we feel like we don't see You working, but that You have a perfect time to bring about Your purposes in, in our lives, in the, in the lives of our church, in the lives of our nation. Lord, and may we realize that in ourselves we're found wanting, but that in Jesus Christ, and by His righteousness that we can know You, that we can have a relationship with You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.